Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the Watt. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Guys, I am proud of you, okay? I got to say something, though. Was the goal ever just to go to the playoffs? No, no, no. You got you got more in you? Yes, sir. Because I'm gonna need it. AB, where's that? Uh, where are you? Show up, Tony. Get your here. Long as Peyton Brown right here, you're going to the playoffs. That was the moment on Sunday after the Browns defeated the Steelers and nailed down their first playoff berth since 2002. The two men who touched the football in that scene both will not be available come Sunday night when the Browns visit the Steelers in the final game of the Super Wild Card round. Super. The news came yesterday that Kevin Stefanski and two other Browns coaches had tested positive for COVID-19. Later in the day, the news came that Joel Batonio and Kaderil Hodge tested positive for COVID-19. When you test positive, you're out for at least 10 days, period. If you're a close contact, that's different. But these are positive tests. And look, I know the NFL said last week there isn't an outbreak in Cleveland that all of the positives we were seeing and the other people landing on COVID-19 reserve, Chris, were the result of community spread. There's one hell of a community spread going on in Cleveland if this isn't an outbreak in the Browns facility. Well, it's a valid point. I mean, I don't know what consists uh, to, to make an outbreak become official, but you know, we've certainly hit the point where we're talking about it. I don't know if it's an outbreak or not, but it's it's certainly, you know, dancing on that fine line there. And it just it's unbelievable. You know, big blow to this football team. Here they are, you know, what is this, three weeks in a row kind of dealing with this issue down the stretch. And um, gosh, we'll see. I, I hope nothing more happens to where we have a good competitive, no issues with our Sunday night football game. Yeah, it started the day before the Jets game, week 16, a game that the Browns would lose, partially because most of their receivers ended up on the COVID-19 reserve list. Hodge was one of them by way of close contact. Now Hodge tests positive. And again, the league's position as of last week, and I don't know if they're going to have a conference call, a media session, if they're going to leak information, they're going to make announcements. I don't know what they're going to do this week, but... I've yet to see anything different than the assessment from last week that this is simply the result of community spread in the Cleveland area. It feels like something more than that. And you're right, Chris, this is now the third game that it will be a factor for the Browns. They overcame it against the Steelers. They were playing the Steelers JV team for the most part yeah, right. on Sunday. They will be they will be facing the Steelers A++ team on Sunday night with Ben Roethlisberger, TJ Watt, and others who didn't play in week 17 back on the field. And it's going to be a factor because Kevin Stefanski, who quite possibly, if not likely, will win coach of the year, will not be in the building. Mike Prefer, the former Vikings special teams coordinator, who did serve as an interim head coach one night when Mike Zimmer had had eye surgery, Prefer takes over. Alex Van Pelt, the offensive coordinator, will call the plays. It is a different reality. And you get thrust into it, not in a regular season game, 
in the first postseason game in 18 years. Yeah, that's that's crazy. It just it, it's unbelievable. It's like they can't dodge the you know the bad luck bullet here in Cleveland when it comes to football or anything like that. Hey, I thought part of the reason they didn't play their best football last week was probably because you're dealing with COVID. There's practice issues. There's meeting issues. All of those type of things. You thought, okay, they got through that week. They got in the playoffs. They won't, they're out of the woods. They won't have to deal with it again this week. And here they are. Now, I mean, Mike, we haven't heard anything. They're still going, you know, continuing with practice as scheduled right now, right? I mean, we're not hearing any closing of the facility because that'll be a big blow to their football team. Hey, it stinks there's no Stefanski, certainly. But I do think, like, if you're having practice and he'll be able to watch the meetings, and I'm sure they'll Zoom him in live to practice, that'll be okay. That'll be fine, definitely. Now, game day is going to be a different set of, you know, theatrics, and how are they going to figure that out? I don't know. But I tell you this, Mike, the thing I'm most concerned with more than any of this is Joel Bentonio. Joel Bentonio is a stud on the offensive line. This team is built around their offensive line. You know, both of their guards are all pro type of players. And now you got the Steelers, who you just talked about. It was the JV team last week, and they're going to be fresh as hell, mad as hell, ready to go. And now you're missing one of the best football players on your team. I just I feel for the Browns because it's a lot to overcome this week. What's his last name? Betonio. Joel okay. B- I thought I heard an I thought I heard an N in I there. I think I might have squeezed. I think I did. I think I said Bentonio. <laughs> I think I did. I'm yeah, sure. I think you did twice. <laughs> yeah. I was just checking. Okay. Just, just making sure. Just giving you a chance to rectify the situation Thank you. before we move on. According to Pro Football Focus, one sack allowed on 584 pass block snaps this season by Betonio, who has been there for a while now, and it's been a lot longer since before he arrived that the Browns have been in this situation where they're heading to a postseason game. And this really does take air out of the balloon for the Cleveland Browns. When I told my niece, the rabid Browns fan, yesterday what had happened, she texted me a word straight out of the Chris Sims vocabulary. That's the feeling in and around Ohio like right now in response, <laughs> in response to the in response to the news that the Browns have an issue as it relates to COVID-19. And you mentioned that we haven't heard of the facility closing. Remember, Monday and Tuesday, this was a rule that was implemented after right, Thanksgiving, right. and it's continued in place. All facilities are closed after a Sunday game for Monday and Tuesday because of this potential for spreading on those days. And on, you know, Sunday is the, di- the weird when you day. play on Sunday. It's the most dangerous day for spread because you're you're potentially in a cramped locker room if you're the road team. You're potentially traveling if you're the road team. You are traveling if you're the road team. You're you're on the sideline during the game. You're in the game itself. So th- that's that's why there's always that that aftermath. And hey, the Steelers this week, given that they've faced this Browns team that may or may not be in the midst of an outbreak, they have to be wondering what their test results are going to be as they get deeper into the week. We still haven't seen evidence of the virus being transmitted between players of opposing teams on game day, but just because we haven't seen it doesn't mean we won't see it. So these are concerns going forward, and we'll see what happens today. We're back at that point, and we've had it happen three, four times this season where there's the daily crop report for a given team, and we wait to see how many more positives. Will they be able to practice today? Will they be practicing remotely? Will they not even practice? Will it just be meetings? Will guys be working out on their own Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, the three most important oh, work days. And it's all being orchestrated now by a special teams coach, not by the head coach. Yeah, that that that's that's brutal. And really, if it comes to that where they can't have practices and do those things, wow, that'll be a big, you know, competitive disadvantage. There, there's no doubt. It's playoff football. You want to implement new things into the game plan. You got to expect that Pittsburgh's added new things into their game plan. You know, so to not have walkthroughs practice, wow, is that a lot to overcome? And, you know, no Stefanski, you know, there to call plays and do all that too, Mike. I mean, I, you know, I, I just, it, it's, it's, it's amazing. It really is. I mean, in the Browns, if I'm the Browns, I, I, I don't know. I'd be, I'd be, I'd be trying to figure out, can I get some Kirk Herbstreet, you know, bowl game communication thing going to where Stefanski could be at home and still talk to the coaches a little bit and have a feel for the game. I know that's crazy and it's illegal, but I just, that's what I'd be thinking about. 
Cra- between crazy and illegal, illegal is the more important thing. You yes. can't do that. Right. It's the old Jim Morris cell phone. Yeah, I know. I was there for that. that you were part yeah, of back right. in 2005 when he wanted to see what what his playoff permutations were. So he used a cell phone during a game and paid a huge fine for it. And the Browns know very well the penalties that arise from text messages from the general manager yeah, in the luxury right. suite down to the sideline. Ray Farmer was on the wrong end of that, although I think he took the fall for Jimmy Haslam. That's a different story altogether. But th- there's nothing they can do. Stefanski is out and Prefer is in. And look, I, I, it's not like – of all the guys in the organization that will be incredibly careful about not getting exposed to the virus, it's going to be the head coach. And all the head coach is doing is working and going home and going to bed and coming back and going to work and going home and going to bed and coming back and going to work. They are spending hour, hour after hour after hour in the facility. So I think that that the initial suspicion when the head coach gets it is he somehow got it in the facility, which, again, raises the question of community spread versus outbreak. And and let's let's devote a minute or two to how this would play out if there is a decision made that it is the result of an outbreak because an uncontained outbreak, Chris, is the only thing that will cause a game to be postponed. What happens if decision is made, there's an uncontained outbreak, and game must be postponed from Sunday? What do you do? Do you bump it back a day or two? Do you bump it back a week and just shut down the rest of the playoffs and division round weekend, what would have been will now be the last game from super Wild Card weekend. And then we pick up with the playoffs a week later. They've got that buffer that's still in there that they didn't have to use for a week 18. Right. I just don't know how this would play out. And my guess is they're thinking about every possible scenario on PFTPM yesterday, Shereen Williams and I kicked around the idea of moving the game to Tuesday, and then the winner plays the next Monday night in the divisional round, and then the winner of that game ends up in a conference championship game the following Monday night. So you go Sunday night, Monday night conference championship games. I mean, we've seen the flexibility that was applied in the regular season. I think we have to be ready for any possible arrangement of dates and times because the league has shown it can do it and will do it, and I think that same flexibility will apply to the postseason if they have to move the game. Well, I, yeah, I, I mean, hey, they're going to do what they got to do to get it done. I, I, I mean, I, I mean, I would have issues with, with some of that. I, I'd be more in favor if they can't play this game this weekend, you stop the whole weekend and you start it next weekend. Now, that would be my thing. Nobody plays. Everybody, we are, the whole NFL's off for a week. And then we come back and everybody plays Super Wild Card Weekend together. Then that, to me, lessens the competitive you know, advantage or disadvantage for some football teams there a little bit. You know, the only thing I would be concerned about with that is what? The two teams that are on a bye. You work so hard to get a bye. Now you're going, well, damn, I didn't want to go like bye-bye from playing football like for three weeks before we have to play again. That's a disadvantage to them. So, wow, it would be a whole can of worms opened up if this does happen. I'm really hoping it's not because I want to see these teams at their best. The other thing, too, about moving the entire weekend back by six or seven days yeah. is the idea that that uh, you may have other COVID-19 sure. issues with other teams. There's no guarantee anything's going to be better a week from now. Let me dust off one of the arguments that you made from time to time during the regular season, and I constantly said they're not going to do it, they're not going to do it, they're not going to do it for business reasons. Remember the issue of the forfeit. Right. And huh. during the regular season— I, I, I was very adamant in the idea that the NFL would not declare a forfeit because the NFL had allowed a defect to exist in the official agreements that were negotiated with the NFL Players Association. Specifically, there's nothing in there as to whether or not players get paid in the event of a forfeit. And since a forfeit goes into the official record books as a win and a loss, a 2 nothing score, and you didn't specifically say in the documents that you drafted that would provide for when players wouldn't be paid that they don't get paid in the event of a forfeit. If there's a forfeit, they still get paid. I think that's one of the reasons why forfeit was never on the table. Now, Chris, yeah, you're talking different. about a different. You're talking about a lot less money, right? You're talking about a different reality, and and look, Browns fans, I'm not saying this should happen. I'm just saying postseason versus regular season, it's a different reality, right? Could the NFL 
simply say to the Browns, you have to forfeit this game. If it gets out of hand, I would be more in favor of that than jumbling the schedule and then making Pittsburgh, you know, of course, okay, again, Pittsburgh for what? The third time this year would be doing everything right, but getting screwed over by another team and have their schedule moved around and everything like that. That I that's what I would be worried about to where, yes, if we have a real outbreak in Cleveland and it's deemed that way. I'm, I mean, I don't even like saying this out loud, but yeah, if it got to that point, I'd rather see them cancel the game and just go, nope, you lose. I'm sorry, but we're moving on and we're not going to like mess up the whole playoff format and make it a, you know, a disadvantage for one team who's going to have five days to prepare and another team has seven and they're fresh and this one's, you know, dead tired. Uh, I, I would be in favor of that, Mike, if it did get to that scenario. Let let me let me kick around. So, well, see, here's the problem. Yeah, it's too. You can't put the genie back in the bottle and say Browns out, Dolphins in. You can't do that. No, the Dolphins have already. They're scattered. gone, right? Even the, right. yeah, they're gone. It's done. You you can't. It's it's over. Yeah, you're not going to get the band back together at this point, and all of a sudden, just magically get the Dolphins ready to to become. And, and they'd be the what the sixth seed. It, it's just it just it's not. We're 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 thinking out loud here, and we're brainstorming possible scenarios where if the Browns can't go forward, they can at least have a a seven team playoff field in the AFC. But you just can't at this point. That part's done. Uh, bumping the game by a day or two would create issues on the back end for whoever wins that game. Right from a preparation standpoint, and I, I Chris. I think that they're going to do what they've done all year long. This game will be played, and I think they're going to say the game gets played Sunday, and the only way that doesn't happen is if the NFL Players Association rises up and says, BS, this is not community spread, this is an outbreak, and you are not properly assessing the situation, and our players aren't safe in that facility, on that sideline, in that visiting locker room at Heinz Field, on the plane, on the bus, wherever, because they're in the midst of a full-blown outbreak, and uh, you ignored it to try to get the game in. That's the only – that that's the, the fly in the ointment sure. in the damn the torpedoes scenario. And, oh, it's not an outbreak. It's not an outbreak when it sure as hell looks like an outbreak. And And I think that's really where we are right now. That's the point that needs to be resolved. Is it an outbreak, or is all of this the result of community spread gone haywire in Cleveland? Yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, listen, I, I can accept that it's community spread. I mean, it, it's going haywire everywhere, right? So it wouldn't be, like, totally crazy to think that. Um, it does seem that it's a little coincidental with all these people. I don't know. I, I, I do find it hard to believe that there isn't something in common here or some common ground, but – Either way, as we know, this virus, it's tricky. Uh, it's its crazy. Sometimes you see people who don't get it. Other people get it you know, easily. It's, it's all over the place. It's part of our world, and we're just going to have to adjust and keep going. But, man, I feel for the Browns. And if they, today's a big day. I mean, to see where this goes and to see if they can put in a full week of practice and preparation, um, it's going to be big for this football team to, to get themselves ready for, for a Pittsburgh team that will be ready to go. I just sent an email while you were talking to the league asking that question. Do we still believe this is community spread or is it now officially an outbreak? Yeah. And we'll see if they respond. Maybe they respond during the next hour and 45 minutes. If they do, I'll give you an update. Sometimes what happens is if they don't want to deal with me, they, they ignore me. And then I have to ask again tomorrow if I remember. And, and then they'll ignore me again. And sometimes I have to ask two or three times. And you know what? It works because I move on to other things, and sometimes I do forget. So, uh, well done, NFL. I have to Way tie to go, a, a, a string around my finger to remind me to follow up on this if they don't give me an answer. Uh, another issue with the Browns that uh, is yeah. is at least it's at least entertaining. Although it's still dangerous because you could get somebody killed when you're drag racing, right? Left tackle Jedrick Wills and receiver Rashard Higgins allegedly cited for, well, no, actually cited for allegedly drag racing. Let me get that right. That was yesterday morning. The attorney says both will plead not guilty. It sounds like in the city of Westlake, Ohio, either the penalty for drag racing is minimal or 
the Browns got a break because they're Browns players. And that does happen in communities throughout the country who want to support the local football team. It was like $154 fine, which prompted me to say, I'm going to move to Westlake and I'm going to drag race. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, that's the price of admission. Right. That's yeah, that's nothing. I'm, I'm happy to do that. So, uh, I, th- th- there's more to the story and the attorney, uh, again, said both will plead not guilty and Wills tweeted that, that they are blowing it way out of proportion. So, uh, we'll see how that plays out. Nobody's ever tried to beat someone off the line at red light for max 30 meters blowing it way out. of. Well, that is drag racing. I, I mean, and you can't, you can't measure 30 meters when you're trying to blow someone off the line at a red. Let's drag racing, Jedrick. Right. right. That's exactly what it is. Man, and, and 30 I, meters is I, very I, questionable, too. Like, come on. Yeah, you like. can't. No. 30 meters is nothing. Nothing. 30 meters is basically 100 feet. You, 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 can, you, you can't blow off the line at a red light for only 100 feet. That... That is the essence of drag racing. Just because you don't see it all the way through to the end of a quarter mile or a half mile or a full mile, that that racing away from the red light is the crime. It is the infraction. It is the thing that can cause the car to go out of control and hit somebody who happens to be walking by on the sidewalk. It's a dangerous act. That's why it's illegal. So, Jedrick... Uh, I, mean, I understand that you're they in at- your early 20s, and 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 maybe you think that works, but it, 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 it ain't, I ain't buying that, Jedrick. No, I'm not buying that either. I mean, first thing I want to say is, were they, were they at the facility together yesterday, leaving there at the same they, time? No. I, I wasn't sure. Are you allowed to get treatment at the facility, even though it's closed on Monday, Tuesday? That's what I was wondering. Just It happened in Westlake, which is 10 miles away, away. from the facility. Okay. All right, so yeah. they must have been at some so. some something. Listen, you know, again, yeah, it's not a good look. I mean, what you're saying, and it is dangerous. I mean, it's dangerous as hell. Um, it goes listen, on. Listen, it it it's it's entirely possible that they coincidentally met at that red no light, no doubt, and, and they looked at and each they other look, and, and they, they went, and they smile, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, and, and that's all it takes. Go exactly. <laughs> young kids, <laughs> young men with probably nice cars, and there they yes, stupid but having fun, not malice. It goes on a lot, unfortunately, with NFL football yeah, players. Listen, Sorry. Listen, I I have done it. The All statutes of limitations have expired. I have done it. I am willing to admit it. It was a long time ago, and the car was far from nice, but I have done it. Sure. It, it's Look, it's stupid. It's reckless. And if you get caught, you, you if get, you get caught, you, you, you deal with the consequences. And you don't downplay it by saying – it was only 30 meters blowing off the line at a red light. No, that's drag racing, Jedrick. And just just write the check. You guys got the money. And, you got, and by, uh, based on the report from Jake Trotter of ESPN.com, they got slapped on the wrist. Just write the, the, the check and move on. I don't think the league office is going to swoop in with a personal conduct policy no. violation over a drag racing citation. Please so, not. And uh, what were you? What car were you driving when you were drag racing? I just would like a little mental image here, <laughs> so we can hear that. Uh, well, uh, well, it's not just one car, but still, none of them were very nice. The original car was a hand-me-down Volkswagen Beetle, circa 1973. Ooh, what color? Which, well, when I inherited it, it was yellow. But I at least persuaded my parents to pay for it to be painted silver, okay. which there's not much you can do to make a Volkswagen Beetle look good. But silver was a hell of a lot better than yellow. Yeah, I would say so. Okay. Yeah. Punch buggy yellow. That, that, I'd love to punch you in the arm every time you drive by. That'd be great. I'd love that. that <laughs> then the, the, the next one, the next one was the the the. Uh, the Ford Fairmont, which had anything but a 350 fuel-injected dual-cam engine under the hood. But, hey, you know, you still you, – you, you still put you, the, pedal you push the, the pedal sometimes. When you put the pedal to the metal, it still goes. That's right. So, uh, And it's not, like, it's not like somebody had a vet next to me on those occasions where you happen to look across and see someone you know or someone you don't know, just depending upon if the mood strikes you. you oh, look, w- when you're in that age range and, and you pull up to a red light, yeah, sometimes there's there's somebody next to you, even if you don't know who they are. They're in that peer group, and uh, you hear that rev. All it takes is that one rev. It's the first rev, 
and, the, and it kicks in. I saw I, somebody I, today def- on the way to work. It was, a young, <laughs> it was a young kid, same thing. I, I knew right away. I was like, oh, this kid's going to go Did crazy. Did you drag race? No, but I, I, I was going, this kid, he, he was – he was, you know, before the light turned green, he was already rolling, like, and he was halfway through the light. And I was like, man, he's in a hurry. And he took off, and he started weaving through traffic and everything like that. So, yeah, I mean, you see it every day. Uh, but, yes, they probably – it sounds like they did get slapped on the wrist because they're Browns players, all that. You're right. Pay the fine. Move on. Don't make it a story. You messed up. It's okay. It's not a big deal. Yeah, because that's the thing. The more that you push it, the more that you fight it, the more that people like us are going to say, yeah. wait a minute, wait a minute. You guys got slapped on the wrist for this. There should be a bigger punishment than a $154 fine for drag racing. And we don't even know what street it was, what the posted speed limit was. Is it a residential area? I mean, right. you know, I, 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 have di- I have different feelings about whether or not I'm going to wag a finger at somebody based upon where this kind of stuff happens. Again, I'm not defending it or condoning it. But I'm a lot more upset about it if it's in some quiet neighborhood and you got kids going to the school Definitely. bus in the morning and that Definitely. kind of thing. So right, right. Th- that's a factor as well. But 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 again, the more that they push back, the more that people are going to want to venture down the rabbit hole and see what's there. I think they're better off just writing the check, shutting up, and moving on and getting ready for the Steelers game on Sunday night. All right, we move on. There's a game Saturday night to get ready for between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Washington football team at FedEx Field. The first Playoff game for Washington in five years. Alex Smith, starting quarterback, not completely healthy from the strained calf. Here's Ron Rivera, the coach of the team, talking yesterday about the possibility of a rotation at quarterback on Saturday night. Honestly, the thing that we have to be willing to do and and, and we have to really think about is whether or not to rotate him in and out with with uh, with Taylor. I mean, we, we have to definitely look at that we, we, you know it's I mean there's nothing you can do but I mean that's the truth of the matter um, we're going to play a very aggressive defense uh, this week and you know obviously it's something we most certainly have to look at you, know, you, you always think of the rotation by way of the defensive line and it keeps the defensive linemen fresh and it allows them to wreak havoc later into the game your offensive line typically doesn't rotate, although there may be a swing guy that comes in from time to time to yeah, give someone right, a rest. Right. The idea of actually rotating the quarterback, that, that, that's, a, that's a new thing. But again, it's driven by the health issues that Alex Smith has been dealing with. They'd rather have him play. But if having him play means having him periodically not play, then... You know, that, that's part of what the coach has to figure out in order to try to win the game. Yeah, I mean, hey, they got to do what they got to do. Uh, we, we both watched Alex Smith on Sunday night. You know, listen, uh, uh, this is the first thing I'm going to say, Mike. And I mean this, and I say this only because I like the guy and the person. But, man, I, I really wish Alex Smith would retire. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. I mean that because I care about the guy. And I just – I sit there watching him every game, and I honestly, every time he drops back to pass, I go <gasps> – Oh gosh! Don't let him get hit. Okay, I, I'm. I'm. I really sit there watching him, just going. I hope he's okay after this play, after this game, after this quarter. I, I just gotten to that point. It hasn't ever looked normal to me this year. Yes, it's been playable and doable. Yes, but then even last week, you see, there's a little calf injury. He couldn't get out of harm's way last week. That was scary. It really was, and I think he knew it. I mean, he was one-legged hopping, throwing, trying to not let his leg get stuck in the ground or get caught in a weird position. And what I would say to what we just heard from Ron Rivera is if we're at that point, so I don't even understand that. So we're at that point, what are we going to do? Like, oh, it's a drop-back pass, Taylor Heineke come in, Heineke come in. Oh, it's, it's a handoff, Alex Smith back in? Oh, it's a sprint-out pass. Hey, it's Taylor again, bring him in. If you're at that point, to me, then just start Taylor. Just start Henneke. Heineke, Henneke, I'm all over the place with his name this morning. But Bintonio. Uh, yeah, thank you. But that would be my thought there. I don't know what two-quarterback rotation would really do, Mike. That's where I, I would question it. There was a comment from Bruce Arians also on ESPN. He had made this remark during a press conference yesterday when he was on ESPN, he went even farther talking about the Washington football team. He said, we're not playing a 7-9 and nine team. We're playing a 4-1 and one team. When Alex Smith plays, they're a 4-1 and one team. We're not playing Dwayne Haskins. We're playing Alex Smith, which you got to love Bruce Arians. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Knife. 
in in the twisting at the at the Dwayne Haskins debacle. But Alex Smith isn't what Alex Smith once was. I still think that he's good enough to play in the NFL. He wouldn't be on the field if he wasn't. Yeah, but no, I agree I with you. It's almost it's just that we, we know what happened to him, right? And so we are more nervous and more aware of the possibility of injury to him because of what he went through. And and uh, and and at what point is it not worth it any longer? You've proven to yourself you can get all the way back. You've proven to yourself you can overcome one of the worst injuries anyone's ever overcome in any professional sport ever. How much longer do you go? And then you got Tom Brady, who's 43 and a half. And I'm starting to think he's not going to stop when he turns 45. I think he's going to keep pushing the envelope as far as he can. And obviously he'll be the other quarterback in that game on Saturday night. But look, look, Chris, I, I haven't seen the the betting line recently, and we'll we'll be doing the Mega Picks podcast tomorrow where we make our picks. I, I don't give Washington a whole lot of a chance here, but that's why Bruce Arian said what he said. He doesn't want his guys to think all they have to do is show up and win the game. And and, and according to Pete Demolitis, the Buccaneers are currently eight point favorites. Think about that, eight point road favorites against Washington, but you don't want your guys to be complacent. We've seen that. We've seen that. In the NFL, we have seen occasions where a team thinks all it has to do is show up, and the next thing you know, it gets punched in the mouth, and we have a game, and the the underdog ends up stealing it. And so if I'm the Buccaneers, I am leery about what could happen, even if they do rotate quarterbacks. you you got to be. As Brady and Arians watch film, their stress level or their – you know, careful approach to the game will continue to increase because they're going to sit there and go, wait, holy crap, this front four, this Washington football team, this defense, you know, they've had periods this year where they won games single-handedly by themselves. Ask Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers. 49ers controlled Washington, but, oh, you know, strip sack fumble by Deron Payne. Chase Young picks it up, returns it for a touchdown, you know, Strip, uh, hit hit the quarterback as he's throwing. Ball pops in the air. Interception. Short field. Washington gets another touchdown. You know, so they a, a play or two like that, and it could be a whole different ball game. And then when you do have Alex Smith, and this is the beauty of how he fits in that football team, where oh, the defense got a touchdown, and he won't give the other defense a chance to even the score. He'll be smart, and they'll chip away from there. And all of a sudden, you look up and you go. You know, we're the better team, but we're losing by three or seven points because their defense has ruined the game for us. And really, that's going to be the goal for Tampa is just not to let that front four and that defense ruin the game for them. And since the game is Saturday, Tuesday was the first day of practice and practice reports. Alex Smith did not practice because of the calf injury. Antonio Gibson, their starting running back, did not practice because of the lingering turf toe problem. Yeah. And Terry McLaurin with that ankle did not practice. They all played last week, but they they did not practice. And they didn't look normal either, Mike Uh, McLaurin and Gibson. They did not. Uh, So that's troublesome because they need those two to make plays if they're going to do anything because it's not really an Alex Smith to make those plays. And sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you with the Bucs. Sorry. No, that's fine. Mike Evans didn't practice because he's got that knee injury and we saw that thing happen live and we thought he was done for, for the year when the knee buckled, uh, when he slid on the grass in the end zone, and it buckled again, which it just didn't look good. So they said the MRI showed no structural damage. He's day-to-day, did not practice yesterday. At least they have Antonio Brown, who stepped up in a huge way for the Buccaneers on on Sunday against the Falcons. So they have that going for them, but we'll continue to monitor the injury reports. And again, yesterday we'll make our, our picks on Thursday for that game, although I think we're both leaning Tampa Bay Buccaneers, especially given what Tom Brady has done. Let's take a break. When we return, we finally have a hire. The first general manager of the current cycle is known. We'll let you know who it is, and we'll react to that when PFC Live continues right after this. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. 
the few, the proud, the Marines. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Anthony Lynn fired by the Chargers on Monday, issued a statement on Tuesday. It's been an absolute privilege to represent the Los Angeles Chargers on and off the field. And I'm grateful to our staff, coaches, players, and everyone in the community who have been so supportive throughout my time with the organization. Anthony Lynn, four seasons as the Chargers head coach. The team had an immense amount of respect for him, so much respect that there was no clue that it was coming. We suspected it. There was no chatter. There was no talk. There was no list of names that was emerging ahead of time, no evidence that they were doing their due diligence by talking to agents and lining up interviews. I respect the Chargers for handling it the right way. And that is another reason why that job is, in my opinion, the most attractive one because of the respect that they have afforded Anthony Lynn, both during and after his time as the head coach. Those are things that you have to look at because you know what? Chances are you're getting fired at some point. And how they treated the coach before you says a lot about how they're going to treat you. No, definitely, Mike. I, I hear you. You know, they're, they're, when, when you look at them as a whole, as an organization, and I think one of the appealing things about them is not much gossip ever out of the Chargers. Really. You don't really hear it much ever. And I'll give you two other examples to even prove it. We had no idea if they were hot on Justin Herbert. You know, I knew some people in some NFL circles who had told me that a little bit, but it was not really knowledge. They kind of did a really good job keeping that under wraps. How about Joey Bosa a few years ago? That kind of came out of nowhere, too. Nobody had them pinned to Joey Bosa. So there's obviously something going, you know, d- being done right, uh, the right way there with the Chargers. That is very respect, uh, respectful. You're right. Yeah, and all those candidates for that job need to keep that in mind as they prioritize. And look, the presence of Justin Herbert, enough is enough to make someone want that job. But these other little things make it a more attractive place as well. Oh, and they have a state-of-the-art stadium. Oh, and there's an opportunity to take over L.A. if you play it the right way because I just think it's there. I'm not saying it's a matter of time because the Chargers have to show an inclination to actually do it and an ability to do it, but they could take over the L.A. market, especially with Justin Herbert as their quarterback uh, moving forward in 2021 and beyond. Moving forward in 2021, the Texans – will be hiring Nick Casario to be their general manager. No, this is not a lost episode from June of 2019 when the Texans tried to hire Nick Casario and had the door slammed in their face by the Patriots. They are finally getting him almost two years later. And when they didn't hire him, see, here's how it went. They wanted him June of 2019. This was Jack Easterby's white whale. And they tried to get him. And the Patriots blocked it. And the Patriots accused Easterby of tampering because there was supposedly a conversation between Easterby and Casario at the ring ceremony because Easterby had been a Patriots employee. So that all stopped. The Texans backed off. And then we thought, well, once the 2019 season ends, that's when they're going to go hire Nick Casario. And then they didn't. They made Bill O'Brien the general manager. Then they fire Bill O'Brien and the 2020 season ends, and now they have Casario as the GM. Along the way, they, they've paid Corn Ferry somewhere between 100000 and a $1 million to be the search firm on this, Chris, and Casario wasn't one of their finalists. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. They paid Corn Ferry somewhere between $100,000 and a $1 million to, to find the candidates for the job. Corn Ferry identified five finalists, and Nick Casario wasn't one of them, and they've hired Nick Casario advantage Easterby. Definitely. I mean, yes, all that other stuff, Corn Ferry, a few hundred thousand dollars is just to, 
you know, appease the NFL, the media, the fan base, whatever, just to make it look like it. But, you know, the way that goes down and especially the fact that you're like, you're right. I mean, he's not on the list of five people. That just tells you that this was the plan all along and that Easterby and everybody, you know, Cal McNair, everybody involved that knew that this was going this way, but they wanted to put their best foot forward and act like, okay, hey, we're doing this. You know, so, uh, I, I mean, I'm not mad at them. I'm not. I don't understand why you don't just add Nick Casario into the list of names that you were interviewing anyways to make it look a little bit more inconspicuous, I guess, to say there. But either way, um, I'll say this much. You know I have great respect for Nick Casario. I think this is a great hire about the Houston Texans football team. You know, the things you worried about with Jack Easterby and all that, what does he know about football and all that? Well, great. He doesn't need to know anything anymore because Nick Casario knows it all. Nick Casario is going to be great to get an organization who doesn't seem to have a clear plan right now about where their team or roster is going. Casario has learned from a master has the ultimate process, and will scorch earth to find players, and that's where it'll be good for Houston. Two things. Yeah. First of all, right. Casario is going to know his place as it relates to Easterby. Sure. Casario is going to let Easterby do his thing. You know, it's possible to get a guy who allows you to still run the show who will be good at the job. What Easterby was trying to avoid was somebody who comes in and says – hey, you, get the hell out of here, all right? You're not part of the football operation. Go, go, go sell raffle tickets, right? Go have a bake sale. You have nothing to do with the football operation. If I see you around here again, I'm going to whip your ass. That's what Easterby wanted to avoid. The other side of it, Chris, I, look, I, you're talking like the, the Patriots have been – experts when it comes to rounding up great players i mean uh, here look the texans need receivers well here comes nick casario from the team that doesn't know how to draft or develop a wide receiver is this a good fit right now with deshaun watson there was that cryptic tweet from deshaun watson last night some things never changed i'm thinking hey he should be happy nick casario is coming from new england first of all who from new england especially on the executive level has ever done anything in the nfl other than thomas dimitrov and second look at the recent history of drafting and developing young players. I don't know that I would have hired Nick Casario. Uh, but, but what the the other stuff of the last like 10, 12 years of just building a team that's the best in football every year after year after year, but that doesn't count? I mean, I don't understand. Well, We're just going to well, go one well, year well, then, and go. Then, oh, well, it's been great for Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn. Okay. The, the, I mean, that's the thing. All right, just John Robinson's, John Robinson's executive fly. has been successful. Nick Saban's been successful. Like, you know, they're all part of the tree. Yeah, there's been some failures. Brian Flores is kicking butt right now. I mean, so, yes, I know there was failures. I get that. Oh, he's, okay. get, oh, he's getting ready for the playoffs right now? Well, oh, 10 and 6 and turned Playoff around and weekend? was in the Coach of the Year conversation. I think you drafted him last week in the Coach of the Year conversation. Okay. And I thought they were going to make the playoffs. Okay, playoffs. but still there. But, okay, now, all right, yeah, they, I know it's not the greatest roster in New England this year. And New England's never been a team about building a team of superstars. That's not what they are. They decided to go the route of, for the most part, let's get a lot of good players and have incredible depth and versatility so no matter what team we play, our genius coach will – find the right formula within the versatility and the depth that we play to screw that team over instead of just going, we're going to make this unit awesome and unstoppable. And to that, yes, the draft hasn't been great, but damn, I don't know. I mean, you know, Gronkowski and Edelman and all the other free agent signings and Amendola have also been awesome and the Chris Hogan's of the world too that way. So I understand what you're saying, but I think you can't judge Nick Casario just off of this last year and, you know, one year of football when they've made nine million great moves throughout that time and just forget about that. He was he was he was the the uh, director of player personnel when they drafted Aaron Hernandez. That's a different story altogether. So, look, th th there's always going to be swings and misses. There's always going to be good things and bad things that you can point to. And the one challenge, I think, for anyone who's been in that in that crock pot with Bill Belichick for that much time, when you leave, how much of you, genuinely you, is what emerges 
and how much of you have been changed, even if you don't realize it, by constant exposure to Bill Belichick. Because there are negative aspects of the Bill Belichick persona that can creep into you. The socially awkward curmudgeon, right? How much of that has infected the way that Nick Casario interacts with the world? That's what's going to be interesting. Because some, some come out intact. Sure. Others come out completely DNA altered to be like Bill Belichick when they weren't and they shouldn't be, and it's only going to work for you if you win. And I don't have any reason to believe Casario is going to be that way, but he was there a long time. Yeah. Right? He was there a long time. No, he – And I mean, so we'll see. You're right. We'll you're see. right. We'll see. He 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 is uh, of that mold. He is a semi-curmudgeon, but I mean that in a good way of the fact that it's just – it's ball all day long. That's what he does. Football, 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 football. He's not going to be about charming your pants off or being Johnny Charisma or doing anything like that. But – He's going to be honest, very straightforward, no BS. He's going to lay out what he sees as a vision for the football team. That's where it'll be good, too. And I'll say this, Mike, just in my experience there, just to show you a little bit, because, yeah, of course he's going to take a lot of what he had for Belichick. But I can just say, like, the two drafts I witnessed – I don't think he necessarily agreed with every draft pick Belichick made. I don't think so. You were locked in a closet. No, I was locked in a closet that was right outside the draft room. So I got to see who was walking in and out of that room and when they were happy or not happy. And I know we made a few picks that day where I went, Nick Casario walked out and shook his head. Like, I I don't know if I like that pick either way. So he's going to have a mind of his own too. It won't be just like, you know, copy everything Bill Belichick did. Uh, One last point before we take a break. Keep your eyes now on Brian Dayball as the next coach of the Houston Texans. I'm not saying it's going to happen. No, but it makes sense. That's that's the one to watch moving forward. We're going to take a break. The fallout from the Eagles' Sunday night tank job continues. We'll let you hear what one of the players had to say about it on Tuesday. More PFT Live right after this. Miles, the decision to take Jalen out obviously has come under great scrutiny locally and nationally. Um, the conversations amongst your teammates. I mean, how do the, how do the guys feel? Um, uh, man, uh, if, if, if I'm being honest, if I'm being honest, no, nobody likes nobody, and that's not, that's all I can say, mm-hmm. really. But um, I don't know what what was the who was the main person behind that decision. But um, all all I know is a lot of people on the team was was confused. How about the first two sounds from Miles Sanders? <sighs> yeah. Uh, I, He's yeah, being careful. It, it was like, I really don't want to go there, but screw it. I, I, hey, look, I, credit to WIP for getting him on the air. You know, one of the things that the Eagles really benefited from, Chris, the COVID protocols that kept reporters out of the locker room, because I guarantee you, if the reporters would have been swarming over that locker room like they would in a normal year, the quotes would have been epic and endless from the players saying, why the hell do we do this? In fact, I will go as far to say that the Eagles may not have done it if they had known that reporters were going to be in the locker room immediately after the game. Uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's an interesting thought. I mean, because it's one of those where even if players don't answer questions, you're going to see the raw emotions on their face, the rolling of eyes, the shrugging of shoulders – the disappointment, you know, in their eyes, all those type of things to where you can't hide it. You know, I don't know whether they would or wouldn't have done it, but you're right. It gives them a little bit of a free pass. The fact that nobody's going to get in the locker room for those reactions to see that. And more importantly, what happens really in those locker rooms and moments like that, at some point, a veteran player who's been around a little bit and maybe has a little bit of a personal relationship with one of the local beat writers, he kind of tells them off to the side, hey, we're pissed off. That I mean, the team is pissed. Can you believe they pulled that crap and all that? And then that's where the beat writer gets the inside track to go, the team, the players are mad and pissed off. And, of course, that didn't happen because of our current, current circumstances. And that's one of the things that we have missed for the entirety of the season, the opportunity for reporters who have that access at a time when people are more likely to be upset, 
They're less likely to have a restrictor plate on the things they may say in that moment. It's all very raw. It's all very fresh. And that's why we, we you know, the, the stories from past years of hearing yelling and screaming in the locker room and and maybe there's a scuffle that that happened that we don't know about. And, and, and all those things get sanitized through the video conferences with a limited number of players after games. So it would have been a very different reality in that locker room on Sunday night if if reporters had been in there picking up some of the reaction. Like Miles Sanders, even though he didn't play, he's still around the team. And the players who did play, they're going to be upset about what happened clearly and obviously. And Chris, this isn't going away. No way. For the Eagles. They're not going to shake this. And the problem now is, what do you do if you're Doug Peterson? Do you start talking individually to the players and admit to them what you did? The word's eventually going to get out that you're admitting to what you did, and they can't admit to what they did because I believe the minute that they do that, that is when the NFL will descend on them like they did on the Patriots every time they've been accused of cheating, like they did on the Saints with Bounty Gate. The NFL, as long as the Eagles don't come out and say it, will look the other way. If they come out and say it, or if there's evidence emerging that they're admitting to it, that's when the Eagles have a problem. I, I guess so. I, I want to be like, the why, why? What can the NFL do? I, I don't understand that. You know, I, I Integrity don't, of the game. I, I, integrity I, of the game. I, you have committed I an infraction against the integrity of the game. You have shaken public confidence and trust in the integrity of the game. And you throw the betting angle in. I'm surprised that hasn't been a bigger deal. I, no, I saw you right Congress that. has far bigger issues to deal with right now. But the betting angle, when you have people who are making wagers based upon the assumption that the team is going to try to win. Remember the point you made yesterday, Jim Schwartz, this is a no-hat t-shirt game. Right. You, I thought, you thought, we all thought the Eagles were playing to win that game. It's the last game of the regular season. They're going to go for it. It's a chance to give Jalen Hurts a game under the lights in in a, in a high pressure setting, and let's see if you can beat Washington, knock right. them out of the playoffs, and we go into the offseason on a high note. and And that's why I picked them, and you picked them, and we were wrong. Yeah, if we had known what they were going to do, we wouldn't have picked them. Well, and to your point, somebody knew. I read your article yesterday on Pro Football Talk. Somebody knew the Eagles were favored by one point when the line opened up last week. The week went on, and all of a sudden, what was Washington favored by by the start of the game? Six? Six and a half at Six. the closing line. So somebody knew. Half. Somebody in Philadelphia told somebody, and somebody made a lot of money last week because of it. We're going to take a break. We look at this week's power rankings when PFT Live continues. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 